our scripture reading today um, is actually going to be from Ephesians chapter 3, and it'll be verses 14 through 21. It says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you may be rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, be to God. Thanks, Kim. You guys can have a seat. As you do, I'm going to pray for us that God's Spirit would illuminate our hearts and our minds to the text this morning, that He would do something in us. So, would you pray with me? Father, thanks for the goodness of your truth. Thanks that it can be a comfort to us. And I pray that as we look at your word this morning, that you would supernaturally speak to our hearts, to our minds, to our circumstances. God, that you would comfort us with this beautiful truth that you've given to Paul to lay out for the church in Ephesus. God, be with us. We trust for you to do that. We love you. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Well, if you have a Bible, pull it out. If it's not already out, and open it up to Ephesians chapter 3. If you have been with us for a little while, we've been in the book of Ephesians. The last three weeks, we turned the corner, we jumped into chapter 3 of the book. And the first verse of chapter 3, verse 1, says, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And then there's a dash in between verse 1 and verse 2. And we talked about this dash, and the original language in the Greek actually represents a parenthesis. So Paul's about to pray for the church, for these people in the city of Ephesus, and he's about to pray for them, and then he stops, and he says, wait, before I pray for you, actually, let me make sure you get this right, because if you don't get this right, the rest of what I'm going to write to you is not going to make sense, and so he goes in this Holy Spirit-inspired side tangent, this parentheses from verse 2 all the way down to verse 13 of chapter 3. We've been unpacking that the last several weeks. Well, now we're coming out of that tangent, going back into the prayer in verse 14. So Paul says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. And we talked earlier when we started chapter 3, what the reason was that Paul was talking about. It's directly related to what he wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, specifically the last part of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. Because Ephesians chapter 2 is all about reconciliation with God. First 10 verses of Ephesians 2 talk about reconciliation individually or vertically. That we were dead in our sins and our trespasses, but we've been made alive in Christ. But then the gospel implications don't end there. We talked about that. If it's just about you and Jesus, you're missing part of the gospel. Because he continues in verse 11 through 22. And he doesn't talk just about the vertical relationship with the gospel, but the horizontal relationship with the gospel, that the gospel has communal implications, that the way you love God is by loving other people. And he talks specifically about these two groups of people at the time, these 
Jewish people, God's people in the Old Testament, and the Gentiles, which is everybody else. And these groups of people were drastically different in ethnicity, culture, how they thought about things. And through the cross, he tells us in chapter 2 of 11 through 22 that through the cross, God is bringing these two groups together for unity. And it's this new community called the church. And so that's the backdrop when he says, for this reason. Because these two groups are going to have to learn how to operate together in unity. And he says, listen, I'm about to give you some very tangible, very practical ways of living out this new community in chapters 4, 5, and 6. And he says, for you to even get close to doing that, I need to pray for you. I need to pray that you would have power to live out the gospel in this way. And so, verse 14, he says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named. I want you to notice the progression of Paul's language here. We're not going to look at um, 20 and 21 in depth this morning. We'll do that next week. But I want you to look at the progression. Because anytime you're trying to get somewhere, you need to start with the end in mind. Right? You have to know where you're going. And we find out where Paul's going in verse 21. The ultimate goal of his prayer is that God would get glory. That God would get glory. If you're trying to walk with Jesus, if you're doing the Christian thing, let me tell you, that is the end game. It's God getting glory. Now, a lot of times we don't understand even what that means. We kind of throw that phrase around to to the glory of God. We're going to talk about that next week. What does that tangibly actually mean to give God glory? glory but that's the end game as you see in verse 21 that God would get glory in the church and in Christ so look at the progression here as God is able to get glory in the church and Christ if we the people of God in verse 19 are filled with the fullness of God and if we're filled with the fullness of God only if we know the love of Christ We have to know the love of Christ to be filled with the fullness of God to give God glory. Right? To know the love of Christ, we have to have Christ dwell in our hearts through faith. Verse 17. To have Christ dwell in our hearts through faith, we need to be empowered. We need power through his spirit in our inner being. Verse 16. Notice the progression of how Paul prays for the church in Ephesus. I love, as we pick it back up and we trail it back to finding out how can we be empowered, look at verse 15 again. It says, from every family in heaven and earth is named. What Paul is doing here, I think sometimes we miss, um, he is using inclusive familiar language. Remember, there's the Jews and the Gentiles, and they're apart. They don't even like each other. And Paul's saying, no, 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 listen, God, the God is bringing everything back together. And we have three kids, my wife and I, and we named them like what we like the names of. Like naming somebody in our culture is just like, oh, I like that name. That sounds good. Like honestly, when we first had our kids, like I was processing like, could I hear it on SportsCenter? Like, could I hear his name, the broadcast? Okay, that's good. We can go with that name, right? It doesn't have any weight or significance to it. But in biblical times, and you see all through the story of the Bible, names matter. 
right? God is constantly changing people's names. Names are a big deal in the biblical story. And what Paul is doing here, listen to what he says in 15, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. He's saying, listen, listen, Gentiles and Jews, you are together. You are one family. We are putting you together. This deals with your cultural identity moving forward. Verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. This passage is like really messing me up, like in a really, really good way. Like I've been diving into it the last couple of weeks and like it's so deep, it's so rich. Look at the 16 again, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. People in Ephesus at this time, this multicultural city, they were looking to gain power, whether it was from the Greek gods or trades, but it was this power that was on outward display. And Paul is saying, no, first of all, you're not going to gain it from yourself. It's actually going to be from the spirit. Second of all, it's an inner power. It's in your inner being. It's quiet and soft and transformational. And we need We need, if we're going to try and live out the gospel with other people, we need to be strengthened by his spirit in our inner being. Because I don't know about you, but life is hard sometimes. For me, circumstances seem to come like all at once. When it rains, it pours, right? A couple weeks ago, I was in a conversation with one of our major donors that gives to our ministry to be able to do what we do full time. This guy and his wife have been partnering with us for a while. And he's a significant um, partner with us to be able to do what we do. And we've been texting throughout the year. It was about um, the the time to have the conversation. Hey, are you going to re-up and you're going to give and invest with us again for this next year? And I had no indications that he would not do that again. He's been supporting us for a long time. And our conversations throughout the year have been very, very, very good. And so we're texting him saying, hey, you and your wife, you need to pray. You need to pray because we need to have this conversation in the next couple of weeks. And so he said, yeah, we'll be praying. We'll be praying about it. We finally got on the phone. And I'm kind of waiting like, is he going to up his dollar? You know where the story is going, right? Like, is he going to up his dollar amount of what he's going to give to us because he had a good year and th- things like that? And as we talked, we had a great conversation, an open and honest conversation. And I said, man, well, tell me what you're thinking. And he said, you know, what? we've been praying about it. And we really feel like the Lord's calling us not to give this year. Well, that's not what I was expecting. Um, but we had a great conversation. We prayed together. And so I'm thinking, okay, I'm trusting that this is God, but I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do here um, because this is a really big deal for us. So the next day, I get a call from my wife when I'm at work. She sounds a little anxious on the phone. She's like, hey, babe, um... The air conditioning is, is, is working in the van, but it's blowing hot air, which is not good. And she said, not only that, but it's making this noise like it's, I, I'm not sure if it's going to make it much longer. So one, I'm thinking, okay, part of my plan and strategy was to get this source of income coming in to support us so that we could get a new vehicle. And now the source of income's gone. And now the vehicle's probably going to break really, really, really soon. And so I'm starting to stress I'm starting to um, figure out how to fix 
Okay, who do I need to call? What do I need to do? And then the next morning I woke up and I opened up my Bible. It's quiet in my house. Nobody's awake. Open up to Ephesians chapter 3. And I read verse 16. And it says that according to the riches of his glory, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. And I felt like the Lord met me in that moment, in the midst of my circumstances that seemed like they were unraveling in front of my eyes. He said, listen, you don't need a new van. You don't need this. What you need is to be strengthened by my spirit in your inner being. That's what you need. You don't need your circumstances to magically go away and get fixed and what you think you should do. No, you need to be strengthened in me. And I started praying and thinking about all the times that God's provided for us when we've been in this situation before, that he's good, that he'll do that. Then I almost felt like he was like, listen, I'm actually using this circumstances to strengthen your inner being. I'm putting another plate on the end of the bar. Because if you're really after me, this is what, you're not going to trust in somebody else as a donor. You're not going to trust in a vehicle. You're going to trust in me. And it was so comforting to my soul. Have you been in those situations where you can't figure things out and you feel like, God, what are you doing? He's saying, lean in and trust me. Get strength from my spirit in your inner being. And the reason we can be strengthened, we need to be strengthened in our inner being, is so, verse 17, that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. This may seem strange as Paul uses this language, as in Ephesians earlier, in chapter 1, verse 13 through 14, he says that all Christians having believed, he says this, are marked with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possessions. So clearly, the Holy Spirit, the moment we believe and we're converted, lives in us. But the word dwell here in 17 doesn't mean just to arrive. It carries this weight of to settle down, to inhabit, to reside permanently. Paul is not praying that the Holy Spirit of Christ will come upon them but that he would make himself at home in their hearts, that at the center of their affections and their decisions and their behavior. That's what dwell means. And when Christ comes to dwell in your hearts, he isn't just coming as a guest for the weekend. I'm getting ready to go on a trip to Colorado next week. I fly out on Tuesday. I fly back on Thursday. It's going to be a quick trip. I'm going to pack a bag. I'm going to get to the place I'm staying in a hotel. And I'm going to take out my bag. And I'll probably just live out of my bag for the day. Because I know I'm only going for a day. I know I'm only a guest. I'm not going to walk into that hotel room and start changing the pictures and moving the furniture. No, I know I'm only a guest. But my wife and I is home. We've decided to take residence. We're, we're, we're in this for the long haul. So you have to ask yourself the question, are you treating Christ like a, like a guest? In your walk, in your relationship with him, you just kind of want to invite him in and, and not invite him in when, when it's convenient? Because God doesn't work that way. Let me tell you, if you're trying to figure out if Jesus should be a permanent resident or just a guest for the weekend, he will not be your guest. 
He won't. He will stand at the very edge of the door. He'll just keep knocking. He'll say, okay, whenever you're ready to let me in, let me in. It doesn't work that way with Jesus if you're trying to be, have him be your guest. He wants to dwell, dwell, dwell in your hearts through faith. And when he does that, he comes in. He starts messing with your house, men and women. He starts moving furniture around. He starts changing the structure of the house. He gradually redecorates everywhere, and all of a sudden you're in this major remodel. And room by room he enters, and he takes down the horrible wallpaper of selfishness, and he replaces it with a paint called love. He takes the old darkened popcorn ceilings of fear and death, and he scrapes them off, and he replaces them with bright colors of the hope of the resurrection of Christ takes the filthy old carpet stained with immorality, rips them out, and he replaces them with brand new wood floors of purity and kindness. I did that for my wife because she wants new wood floors. I was like, we, we don't have a van that works. We can't have wood floors. When Christ enters in, he takes the broken down furniture of idolatry and he gradually throws it away piece by piece. And he replaces it with new furniture of worshiping Jesus in every area of life. But don't miss this. Don't miss it. Look at the text in 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. It takes faith to allow Jesus to come in and start messing with your stuff, doesn't it? It takes faith to allow him in. So some of you are going, well, I don't know if I want him in there. Take a step of faith. Watch what he does to make it way more beautiful than you could ever imagine. As you surrender to Jesus, his spirit dwells your hearts through faith. He starts taking root in and through your life. As you continue to grow in the gospel, these roots begin to run deep. And as you are being rooted and grounded in love, verse 18 says, so that you may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. This word comprehend in your Bible there in verse 18, the NIV, I I think um, translates it grasp. But the word comprehend in the original language in the Greek is the word Contalambano is how you would pronounce it. And it carries with it not just this head knowledge, but it means to seize or take possession of or to apprehend, grab hold of. It kind of carries with it this kind of aggressive experiential weight to it. It would be like the cowboy, Contalambano, the reins of the wild horse. You grab hold and you experience it. Look at what Paul is saying. That you may have strength to contalambano with the saints, the breadth and length and height and depth of knowing Christ's love. It's not just a head knowledge, it's a heart knowledge. Well-known theologian Jonathan Edwards in his work, Divine and Supernatural Light, uses this illustration that gets used all the time. He talks about the difference between knowing what honey tastes like and knowing what honey tastes like. Right, we can have the conversation, if you've never had honey, and I could say, well, it's sticky, and it's sweet, and it tastes good, and you can go, okay, I kind of know what it tastes like. But when you put that honey in your mouth, 
taste it on your lips. You experience it. And that is what Paul is saying. Have you experienced with all the saints the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge? You might know Christ. Maybe you grew up in church. Maybe you've heard the teachings of Jesus. But do you really know him? Like in your bones. We need to know him to live out the gospel. And listen to this language that Paul used, this descriptive language of what it means to know the truth of the gospel, the breadth and length and height and depth. The breadth language illustrates, it illustrates God's accepting love. Paul's already celebrated how the love embraces both Jew and Gentile and anyone from any background who comes to him for mercy. Chapter 2, verse 17 of this letter, he says, And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace who are close. And perhaps some of us are tempted to feel that we're beyond the reach of that love. That our background is too immoral. We're too poor. We're too privileged. We're too idolatrous. We're too dysfunctional for us to really be genuinely loved by Jesus. When I was in college, I worked with the women's basketball team at the University of Arizona. And I remember we were catching a flight to go play Oregon and Oregon State. And we were in this conversation with a girl that was on the team who was a freshman. And man, she was so close. She's so close to trusting Jesus. You could just see, like, God's got her in the crosshairs. Like, she's asking all these questions. Oh, so good. And we're having these conversations, myself and another teammate of hers. And she's sitting right behind me on the plane as we take off to go to Oregon. And we have a notepad, a notepad, and we're writing back and forth to each other about Jesus, who he is, what it really looks like to follow him. All of a sudden, I get this tap, and she passes the notebook through the seats in the plane. And I read it, and she says, he'll never accept me. You don't know what I've done. And that's how she was really feeling. She didn't understand the width or the breadth of God's accepting love. We need God's help to grasp how wide the love of Christ is for us. If you're trusting in Christ, there's nothing you have done or could ever do that would put you outside of that embrace. His love is wide and accepting. That's the breadth. The length illustrates his lasting love. Some of you need to hear this this morning. His lasting love. Paul's already celebrated the eternity of God's love before the foundation of the world to eternity in the future. He says it in chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. He predestined us for adoption through sonship of Jesus Christ. And perhaps some of us have been painfully abandoned in our past. A family member. Maybe a spouse, girlfriend, boyfriend. We've been left. People have said, I love you, and it doesn't end up working that way. And we feel left. And we begin to think, man, is God going to leave me? Is that what's going to happen in my relationship with God? Or maybe you feel like, man, I've, I just, I've messed up again and again and again. There's no way God could still love me. It's not based on you. And your performance, it's based on him and his long-lasting love. We need to grasp that this love for us is permanent. 
And however we disappoint him, he will never let us go. He's committed himself to love us from eternity past to eternity everlasting. He will never, ever, 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 ever give up on us. Ever. You need to hear that beauty of the gospel. The breadth, the length, the height illustrates his exalting love. Paul has celebrated how the love of Christ doesn't simply save us from hell, but lifts us into heaven. Listen to what he says in chapter 2, verse 6. says, God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Sometimes you wonder if this Christian thing really is worth following, if this Jesus guy is really worth giving your life over to. We have to be reminded of the benefits the heights that we get to go on because of the love of Christ. We need to grasp how high his love is, how much he has in store for us, not just now, but for eternity, and how exalted and privileged we'll be forever in the new creation. Christ's love has lifted us from the gutter to the palace, from hell to heaven. It is a high and exalting love. Do you get this? Not just in your head. Do you feel it? Do you understand it? Have you grasped this truth in your life? The breadth, the length, the height, the depths of his love illustrate his sacrificial love to us. Paul's already celebrated the self-sacrifice of Christ for our sins on the cross. He talks about that in chapter 1, verse 7 and 8, when he says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in according with the riches of God's grace that he's lavished upon us. Have you ever really considered the agony of what Jesus did for you? He didn't just stay up in heaven where it was comfortable. He didn't just snap his fingers. He came down and walked among us. Love walked among us and was tortured and crucified. Not only the physical anguish, but the emotional agony of being separated from the Father for you. Because he loves you. You, that is a deep, deep, deep love. Can we be reminded of that this morning, church? Can we be reminded of the breadth and length and height and depths of his love for us? As we comprehend the love of Christ that surpasses this surface knowledge, we're then, in verse 19, filled with the fullness of God. If you really focus on that list I just gave you, and you meditate it, and you think about it, and God's Spirit changes you, you will be filled with the fullness of God. Which will bring God glory in the church and in Christ. But we don't live like that a lot. Right? Let's be honest with ourselves. Are you, are you feeling empowered in your Christian life? Or are you feeling like, ah, I'm kind of barely making it? Or I have these seasons of, yeah, I feel really close to God. And then there's other seasons where I just, I just feel distant. What is that about as we unpack this prayer that Paul is giving to his people? I have, um, I've got pigeons. It's not something I'm proud of. Um, and when I say pigeons, I'm not talking about like I have pet pigeons, like a dog or, you know, it's like, like you catch a cold and you don't want it and it keeps 
Like I have pigeons in the last six months at my house. So we've lived here almost six years. You're all laughing, looking at each other because you got pigeons too. I know you do. In the last six months, these pigeons have decided to take residence on the top of my backboard of my basketball hoop in my backyard. This is a problem for me because I really like to play basketball. And these pigeons, as you can imagine, they sit up there and they make a ton of mess all over the glass backboard, all over the key. It's terrible. You can't play when they're doing that. And initially, I thought the pigeons would just kind of go away. I don't know why I thought that. I just thought, ah, they'll, they'll eventually move on. They're not leaving. And they're beginning to torment my soul. I'll be sitting in the living room watching TV. There's a window off to my left. And far, in, the, in the far distance, you can see the basketball court. And I see these two pigeons. And they're just in my peripheral. And they're just slowly, like, looking at me as they fly, landing on the top of my backboard. And before I would kind of like shoo them, I try to like shoo them. Like they, they, they're just laughing at me at this point. I have to go like right up to them. And, You're not welcome. So it's about to go to another level. I just bought one of those owls. I'm, I'm, I'm going to fix this pigeon problem. But before then, like I, I would have to clean up the mess. Right? So I go to the side of my house and I would pull out the hose. And I would turn on the water full blast on the side of my house, and I would take the hose, and I have to walk it. It's kind of a distance from the side of the house to the basketball court, and so I'd wake it up, you know, it's, I'm fighting it like this the whole time. And so it has a nozzle on it, one of those ones that sprays, and so I turn it on full bore, and I'm waiting, and so I get to the edge, and I go to take care of the problem, and I hit the thing, and nothing comes out. Like a little bit of water comes out of the hose. And it's not like I haven't paid my water bill. It's not like I turned the faucet the wrong direction. It's not like there's a hose in the pipes or, uh, you know, there's, there's a hose. And I have, access, or I have availability to the power of the water. I have availability, but I don't have access in the moments. You people are smart people. You know what's wrong, right? This is what's wrong. Look, it's even happening on stage. Curse this hose, right? Like, there's a kink somewhere in the, in the line. So, of course, what do I do? I just, I like cuss at the thing. I'm just like trying to figure it out like this. I'm not walking back to it. It's too far. But I need power. Right? And a lot of us live this way in the Christian life, don't we? This is what happens to us. We try and walk with Jesus and then all of a sudden something gets bent up and then like it just stays like this. And then we're frustrated and we don't understand why. Listen, you need to hear this this morning. You have access to the power. You have access to God's spirit living in and through you, but something's blocking it. So what is Paul saying? How do we unkink this hose? How is he praying for the church in Ephesus to receive this power? I'm going to give you three quick things as we wrap up. The first is this. We need to be a people of prayer. And maybe that's obvious. I mean, we're looking specifically at a prayer that Paul is giving to the church. We have to engage in humility and prayer. God has to be the one that does it. We need to have a consistent rhythm and pattern of prayer in our lives. The great missionary Hudson Taylor, who ministered to the country of China, he had this phrase that he would say every day when he woke up. Every day when he woke up. I love this. Listen to what he says. He says, Lord Jesus, make thyself to me a living, bright reality. Every morning, his feet hit the floor. He says, Lord Jesus, make myself to thee 
a living, bright reality. We need to be constantly praying all the day long, trusting God to do his work. We need to be a people of prayer. I've been in a prayer cohort with some of the other pastors from Redemption. We just get on a screen and we pray for an hour once a week. We talk about prayer. We pray together. And we're having this conversation of how can we become more of a praying church in general for our congregations? What does that look like? And Tyler Johnson, who's the lead pastor of all the redemption, said this phrase, and I can't get it out of my head. It's, stick, it's just stuck with me. He says, we don't want to be a church bathed in prayer. We want to be a church birthed in prayer. Meaning you don't decide what you want to do, and then you kind of throw some prayer on top of it, bathed in prayer. You want to be birthed. Everything starts in prayer. This humility, this, this in your soul saying, God, what do you want me to do? Help me, help me, help me. To receive the power to live out the gospel, we need to be in prayer constantly. That's the first thing. The second thing, we need to be a people of obedience. Look at verse 14 for me real quick at chapter 3. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Paul is starting this prayer in a posture of obedience. For us, we don't quite get this, but in this time, you don't really see a lot of people bowing their knee to prayer. We kind of see that in our culture, but you would actually stand to pray. And Paul is saying from the very beginning, I am going to be in submission of the Father. I'm bowing my knees as he is my authority and I am his servant. And I will obey what he says. And we don't quite get the Father language either. But at this time, the Father was the one with the real authority in this culture. And so Paul is saying, I'm going to submit myself. I'm going to be obedient to my Father. Sometimes we get the line all kinked up because we're not being obedient. We know God is telling us to do something, and we're kind of negotiating. We're having that conversation of like, God, I don't think you really, no, I don't, I don't know about that guy. And God's saying, no, I want you to do this. I want you to do this. We need to be a people of obedience to live the life that God has called us to live. I have a number of books that I continue to come back to about once a year, every other year. And one of these books, um, I just love, 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 is called Leadership is an Identity by a pastor named Crawford Loritz out of Atlanta. And he's talking about what does it mean to be a leader in the church, not just the church, but in general, as you walk with Christ, as you follow Christ, what does it mean? He gives four chapters. The first thing he talks about being a leader is that you have to have a rhythm of brokenness. Brokenness. Second chapter, he talks about uncommon communion. With Christ. The third, he talks about servanthood as an identity. And the fourth chapter, he titles Radical Immediate Obedience. I love how he says it this way in this chapter. He says, When God speaks, obedience is not something to be negotiated. There's no such thing as partial obedience, whether uh, we either completely do what God says or we disobey Him. What are the areas that the hose is? tangled up and it has something to do with you negotiating your obedience with God and God's saying stop stop that just just trust me trust me by faith and do what I say and you can see it in the even in the verse 17 the dwell language it, it takes faith and obedience to let Jesus come in and mess with your life we need to be a people of prayer a people of radical obedience and then the third one don't miss this third one we need to be people of community. A people of community. Look at 
verse 18. And this is really, really important, you guys, especially in our culture of American individual Christianity, where we can get on and we can podcast wherever we want, and we can listen to whatever songs we want, and it's just me and Jesus, and everything else, it's just me and Jesus. Watch what Paul does here in verse 18. Look at this. Look at your Bible. It says, he's talking about being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and height and length and depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. Read it again. Listen, he, this is not what he says. He doesn't say, may have the strength to comprehend what is the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. He intentionally puts in with all the saints. Here it is. This is why. Listen, you cannot fully know the love of God. You cannot fully know the love of God unless you're with the people of God. You can't do it individually. You need to be around other people that aren't like you because there's a beauty to you that I don't have. I need to be around other people that are walking with Jesus that can encourage me. You're not going to know the love of God on your own. You need the saints. We need each other. We don't push community in this church because it's a cool thing to do or, you know, like we want to build a big... No, like it's because we want to know God. And we want to be filled with the fullness of him. Men and women, we need to be a people of prayer, of obedience, and of community. If we do those things, if we do those things, watch and see what happens. Let's pray.